Well, I'd like to begin today by offering you in a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. What if I told you you could receive the tools for me to become rich beyond your wildest dreams? What if I told you you could do that? All you have to do is listen to these five easy steps that I'm going to give you, and you never have to think about money again. You never have to think about money again. What would you say? You would say, yes, thank you. I love it. Cool. See me afterwards. Uh, you would also say, you would also, what's that? A Ponzi. That would be, <laughs> it's a Ponzi. <laughs> You'd say Ponzi. You would say, but what you would do is if you're kind and we're in relationship or friends, you would also say, show me the evidence. Demonstrate to me that you know what you're talking about. How rich are you? And then what if I proceeded then to show you absolutely nothing? I showed you my upper middle class job, uh, or middle class job, whatever, you know, depending on what neighborhood you're in. I would show you my tiny apartment, and I'd show you my bank statement. And when you go, well, I don't know, like, if there's anything real with your claim, because you've showed me nothing. You haven't demonstrated to me that you know how to help me get rich quick in five easy steps. Folks, this month we've been doing a series called Life with Jesus, and it's how we can learn to share our faith with others and how we share Jesus with others in ways that make sense. And the scenario that I just gave you is how people often operate as Jesus followers. They claim to know the infinite God personally, but there's no demonstration, no evidence in their personal lives that they know what they're talking about. That there's no difference in their lives whatsoever that he's actually making an impact. And this is one of the major issues that we face as Christians. We talk a good game about God, but do our lives actually demonstrate a good game about God? Now, if you're visiting or you're here for, or if you're newer and you don't know what you believe about Jesus, if you don't know if you follow Jesus or not, you need to know one thing, two things. You are welcome here. And why you would get up at 10 a.m. on a cloudy day to sit with us is beyond me. But we are glad that you're here. But if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, this is a good message for you to listen in and say, yeah, Christians, you need to do your job. You see, you can watch in on a family conversation that we're about to have. So one of the ways that we learn to, to deal with this is we need to understand the difference between the gospel and the good news about Jesus. We have a slide there. The gospel and the good news about Jesus. And how we have to solve this problem, because if we don't solve this problem, then the people in our lives will never really know the full power of Jesus. So we need to understand the difference between gospel and the good news. I'm going to read something from Matthew 10. It goes like this. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These 12 and then in verse 5, we skip around. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received and freely you give. And what we see here is when the disciples go out, 
They don't just go and preach a message, say, here's how you know the kingdom of God. They come into a town, and they're given specific instructions. They, and what are they? Go in and perform miraculous signs. Heal people. Drive out demons. Uh, uh, deal with leprosy. And then when the people are ready to hear you, they will ask you about your message. And what we get is a small picture of the difference between the gospel of Jesus and the good news about Jesus. Look with me on the screen here. So the gospel, what is the gospel? The gospel is the actual story of Jesus. It's that Jesus came to the earth to renew the world. It's the actual story, the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's the idea that we can experience new life now and a new life in eternity after we die. What's the good news about Jesus? The good news about Jesus hits different. It's, it hits different. It's like, he's wise. He healed me. When I was hurting, he comforted me. He cared for me when I was in need. You see the difference here? Do you see what I'm saying? One is the story, and one is what he does, what he's, the impact he's made in our lives. And what we see in these verses is when the disciples went out, they did both. They proclaimed the good news, but they also demonstrated the good news. They showed people the good news by performing miracles. And we can assume that they told stories about how Jesus loved and cared about them. They weren't just giving a theological message. They were also demonstrating the message with power. Do you see the difference? Both are important. Both are different, but both are important. Now, unfortunately, in today's Christian culture... Christians can sometimes focus on presenting the gospel to their friends and their family in their relationships without ever demonstrating any real good news. It's the same as offering a quick get-rich-quick scheme without any evidence. And what I'd like to say to Jesus followers today is this. We must remember to demonstrate the good news of Jesus in our lives if we want people to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to demonstrate the good news in our lives. How do we do that? How do we demonstrate the good news and not just talk about the good news? I want to give you a couple ways. First, you have to live the brand. And second, you have to move towards those who are willing to listen. How do you live the brand? Well, in the story that we just read, if you zoom out on Jesus' life, if you took a look at the whole story of Jesus, there's something really interesting about the way Jesus interacted with people and how he conducted his earthly ministry. Often, he would enter a town or a region, and he would begin by blessing the community that was there. And he would bless them in a few ways. First, for instance, he would perform miraculous signs. He would heal the sick. Another way that he would bless people is that he would show extreme kindness or extreme love to a person in that town who had been rejected by society. Okay? And he would do these things over and over and over again without any strings attached. Can you imagine? He just walks into the town. He's healing people. He's loving people. He's including people. And what we see 
is that after he demonstrated signs and wonders through power, and after he showed extreme kindness and love to the people that were there, eventually the people of that town would start to gather, and they would begin to ask him, like, how did you get this power, or why are you so nice to us? And it was only then that he would begin to teach them about the kingdom of God. In many instances, Jesus' model for sharing the kingdom of God is what New Testament scholars would call this, demonstration followed by proclamation. Jesus would demonstrate that the kingdom of God was here. He would demonstrate signs and wonders, acts of love, acts of mercy, that he would demonstrate that God was doing something new in the world, and then after, he would explain to them what it meant, meaning that he would communicate and explain all that he was up to in the world. And this is really important. Because it means that Jesus did not begin a relationship with people by arguing and reasoning with them about the existence of God. You cannot find Jesus debating someone about the existence of God without something happening with power first. And he, you notice there's something else he doesn't do. He doesn't get the disciples to get markers and draw up the meanest signs possible, and then go protest the Roman government. Now, I believe protest is a very important part of the American system, okay? But we don't see a lot of cardboard signs being made by Jesus and his disciples. Nor did he, use, uh, nor did he develop relationships with people by making a three-point argument about why he was the Messiah. He often began by showing them he was the Messiah. He would say, look, the kingdom of God is here. Now watch this. Boom. Blind person healed. He would actually demonstrate that there was power in his message. And, he, and so this guy would be born blind. He had never seen anything in his life. He'd go, the kingdom of God is here. He'd put mud on his eyes. He would, the guy would get healed. He would demonstrate that the kingdom of God was here. And he did it through power and blessing and love and kindness. Then the people would say, well, we've known this guy our whole life to be blind. Now he can see, tell me a little bit about who God is. And that's when he would deliver the message. He would deliver the gospel, the good news of what he was up to in the world. That's when he would teach them. If they were interested and moving towards him, that's when he shared the details about what the kingdom was. And when people started moving towards Jesus to learn more, after he would perform a miracle, they would go, tell us about the kingdom. That's actually when we see the heart of God come out. That's when he starts talking about how we need to care for the poor, how we have to care for the lost sheep. That's when we actually see his most passionate statements about justice and injustice. Do you see how he flipped it? Do you see, like he, okay, Jesus calls out injustice, inequality, he calls out how people have, are being abused in the system, the systemic evil of his day, both by the Jewish people and by the Romans. And there's, there's hundreds of instances where he is calling that out, but he's doing so after he had built credibility and after he had demonstrated that there was power in his message. Jesus' statements of, of truth and injustice that need to be addressed come after he's demonstrated his power. The fact is, any time that Jesus did a call out, any time he called somebody out, any time he told off a Pharisee, 
Anytime he spoke about radical love and kingdom welcome, he did so after he had already been at work in the community, healing people, blessing people, including people. Hey, Zacchaeus, you're a tax collector. Nobody likes you. Come down from that tree because you're very short. We're going to your house to eat lunch. He would demonstrate something in love. And then at the table, he would explain to people like Zacchaeus, he would say, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what it means to live the brand. We, we bless. We love. We perform miracles. Let me ask you a question. When people look at your life, what do they see? Do they see the power of God at work in your life? Do they? Or does your life look like everybody else's? One of the issues in the American church in the 21st century is that Christians have decided the only way to lead people into life with Jesus is to convince them through either preaching or protests. That somehow if we hold the sign up high enough, they'll be like, oh yeah, how can I have a relationship with Jesus? <laughs> like that'll work. Or we think that what I'm doing on Sunday, if you can do like some version of this with your coworker, that people are going to be like, yeah, that's awesome. That makes sense. The American church in many ways has exchanged the power of God for intellectual arguments about God. It's ditched kindness in the pursuit of knowledge. It's ditched supernatural power for protests in the streets. And then we wonder why people aren't listening to us. You wonder why the American church continues to, uh, continues to shrink. We're just out there and we're talking about God. And we're talking about justice and righteousness. We're using phrases like sin and about forgiveness. We're talking about this God that people literally cannot see. They can't physically see God. And people, the people we're talking to about God, they're saying, yeah, I like the idea of Jesus. I mean, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's pretty radical. I like that. But to change my whole life to follow Jesus, to radically reorient my entire being and everything, to bring it under the lordship of Jesus to be willing to tithe my money to a church, to be willing to die for the name of Jesus, you're going to have to give me some reasons. You're going to have to show me some evidence. Why should I do this with my life? Show me your life before I commit to that. And many times, the American church responds with nothing. Many of the private lives of American Christians they offer no hope, no inspiration, or even the slightest difference in spiritual power when compared to the average American citizen. And we wonder why American churches are shrinking. The American church doesn't have a knowledge problem. It has a power problem. We have no power. We don't know how to pray effectively with power. The American church doesn't have an information problem. It has an application problem. We don't know how to apply what we know. And the American church doesn't have a creed problem. It has a credibility problem. 
We aren't credible because there isn't enough evidence in our lives to make a difference in their lives. Listen, if you want your friends, if you want your neighbors, if you have family members who don't have a relationship with God, if you want them to encounter the living God, you should probably ask yourself, is my life attractive? Is my life surprising? Does my life show signs that the God of the universe is actually at work? Here's what I'm inviting you to do. If you are a follower with G- of Jesus, follower with Jesus of Jesus, I'll keep going. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you want to share your life with Jesus with other people, it starts with you. You have to do this stuff. I have to do this stuff. God, in his word, through Jesus, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God offers you himself. He is the way, he is the truth, and the life. I'm inviting you, before you go out and share your faith with people, lean into that. Align your private life with Jesus and find the ways in which God's word is speaking to you to align your life. Obey. What this means is some of you need to make a hard choice today. And as preparing for this, I felt like there's some of you that need to make, some of you need to make a hard choice. And some of you need to make a hard choice to start something. And some of you need to make a hard choice to stop something. You may need to start something. You're dragging your feet on a decision. It could be a choice, a habit, a new commitment. It could be a money situation. Whatever it is, seek God's counsel through God's word and just do it. On the other hand, some of you may need to stop something. It could be breaking off an unhealthy relationship. It could be a habit. It could be something, it could be whatever. Whatever it is, seek counsel from God's word and do it. And when we, you and I, both choose to align our private lives with the God of the universe, our lives will somehow and miraculously start to become more attractive to the people around us. The outside watching world will have something to hold on to when they look at your life. Your life, when it is aligned with the will of God, it will speak volumes. It will speak volumes to the people who are interested in God. People will begin to notice. Another way that you can um, do this is to perform miracles. Did you know that Jesus empowered every follower of him with all the ability to perform miracles at the same level that Jesus performed them. He gave that power to the disciples, and he gives that power to you and to me. Did you know, um, this church, we're a part of the vineyard movement of churches. And what we believe is that we should be praying for the sick. If you don't know how to pray with power, we can show you. And did you know that in the vineyard movement, over the course of 30 to 40 years, we've seen hundreds and thousands of people be healed uh, just by coming to a service or in private rooms or whatever, people would pray for them. They would go to a doctor, they would be verifiably unwell, and the doctor would say, you are not well. 
Uh, and we don't, and here's the procedure of what we're going to do. They, will, they would show up to a vineyard church, kind of like this one, probably in a dirty school as well. I mean, this school's clean, other schools. Uh, what am I saying? There's no reps from the school district here, is there? Oh, there is back there. Oh, no, oh, my God. Oh, my God, the custodian's in the back. <laughs> no, it's clean, man. <laughs> I am just saying that, um, here, I'll talk to you afterwards. Uh, <laughs> They're just children here all the time, and that just makes me a little creeped out. So, but we're so grateful. You do a great job. This place is clean. All right, so, <laughs> my red. <laughs> Listen, people would show up to a, people would show up to a vineyard church service, and they go, I have this sickness, or I have, I'm unwell, I, I've, I've received this diagnosis, and someone would pray for them, and they would be healed. Um, over the course of the last 20 years that Nicole and I and uh, Patrick and I have uh, been in the vineyard, we've seen dozens and dozens of people miraculously healed. And these people would experience the power of God, then they would go back to the doctor, and the doctor would go, you were sick, we verified it, now you're not sick, and we don't know what happened. We don't know what happened. And this is what we do. We still believe that God has not developed cosmic laryngitis that he still speaks to us and invites us to align our lives, that he's, in, he's with us in the room right now, that hopefully he's guiding me, but he's also speaking to you about different things, and that as we choose to take steps of faith, we take risks, we can actually grow in our ability through the power of God to bring miraculous signs into the here and the now. We've discovered that physical healing and miracles continue to be a viable option for leading people in a growing relationship with Jesus. Jesus sends out these disciples to go do it. Today, in the 21st century, it is still a viable option to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Why? Because a miracle is not rational. In the scientific mind, we do, it doesn't make sense. We need medicine and we need traction or whatever the program is. We need surgeries only. Uh, we need something that uh, we need, a, if, if it's a rational problem, we need a rational solution. And when we pray with power and something happens, uh, the person who has that encounter or some of the eyewitnesses to that encounter, they can, uh, they can start to go, hmm, maybe there's more to this life than just science. And sometimes we can bypass some of the issues that people have with God. Does he exist? How did Jesus rise from that? These are all theological questions. They become diminished a little bit when you were dying of cancer and now you're not dying of cancer. Do you understand what I'm saying here? That the power of God, uh, just the way he did it with the disciples, the way Jesus did it with the disciples, when you apply the power of God to your relationships and I apply the power of God to my relationships, we're opening up the realm of possibility for God to demonstrate to somebody that he loves them. The reason often God will step into time and space and heal someone today in a miraculous way isn't just to be showy, isn't just to like make the church grow, but oftentimes he does it to demonstrate his love for somebody. And so one of the ways that you can demonstrate the kingdom of God in your life is to say, God, how do you want me to love somebody today? Sometimes it means letting them cut in line at the grocery store. Other times it means I'm going to pray for you and we're going to see what God does. And sometimes 
Coincidentally, the more often we pray, the more healings and miraculous signs we see. Another way that we demonstrate the power of God. You show people incredible hospitality. Um, like, you know, invite them into your home. Like on a regular basis, not once a year. This is my once a year to let someone in my home. No, be regular about it. Invite someone into your home. And most importantly, be nice. Be nice to the people in your life. Now, if you know me, I'm not naturally nice. I'm angry. Generally at the government. I don't know. I have, I'm political science majors angry at the government. Uh, who thought? I'm, I'm generally, uh, you know, and I use it to make jokes. Uh, and so, um, but I'm generally, that's my, I am generally, you know, not pleasant or nice. And I regularly have to go, Lord, you got to help me today. <laughs> help me to be nice. And what I find is that over time, the Spirit of God has just rounded out my edges. He's put, mostly because he's put me in circumstances where I got my booty handed to me. I'm like, I need to be nicer. But many times, the Spirit of God fills me with a supernatural power to be nice, to do the unnatural thing in Los Angeles, and to invite people into our homes, even though we don't always want people in our homes. Am I right? We want some privacy. But we invite people. The hospitality that can come into your home is a way to demonstrate the power of God and you roll out the red carpet, you actually get the meal right and you clean your bathroom behind the thing and you do the thing and you don't, you show hospitality because when we do that, it's a sign that God is at work in our lives. And so if you aren't naturally inclined toward hospitality, ask God to help you. Be, and I'll just be honest, he's helped me. He can certainly help you. He can help you. Um, another way is when it, um, at your job. Some of you have jobs. In your work, do like a good job at work. Like do your job. And do it well. Now, if you can't hold a job, if your boss rightfully always seems to have you on a PIP, a performance improvement plan. If you're unreliable at work, if you don't show up on time and you leave early or you don't do the assignments, if you, if, if you consistently, let me put it this way, because sometimes our pride blinds us, not, not your pride, my pride, my pride, sometimes if you are consistently finding yourself at your job and everybody is, everyone else has a problem in the organization except for you because you're the genius, that might be a sign that you're not working with integrity. And integrity is doing what you say you're going to do, when you say you're going to do it, and doing it in the manner it's supposed to be done. You are not working with integrity. If, I, if any of the things I just mentioned are true for you, you need to think about how to work with integrity. Why? Because you have nothing to say. You have nothing to say to your coworkers about the hope and the integrity found in Jesus if your work doesn't demonstrate hope and integrity. You see, you see how we're, see the theme here? You have to demonstrate it. So for some of us, some of us, the way we can be a good witness, the way we can share our faith is to start doing our job. 
And then down the way, when people ask, why do you do such a good job? Why are you so good at your job? Uh, you don't leap on them and be like, have you heard of the cross? You like, you tell them you're... <laughs> I mean, have you, have you been in those situations? I have a situation like that. My friend was like, I'm having a hard time with my girlfriend. I'm like, you know, you really need to understand substitutionary atonement. And he's like, whoa, buddy. <laughs> uh, yeah, you don't leave on it. It's like, man, you really did a good job with the, closing that sale. And you're like, yeah. Um, have you ever been to church at 10 a.m.? You can't do that. There's, there's, there's a way to share the good news about Jesus, but it often begins by your actions. So do a good job. The point is this, whether it's a miracle, whether it's demonstrating radical love or just doing a good job, if it's praying for God to help you be hospitable, the point is this, give the people in your life some reason to see that what you believe is actually making an impact in your life. There's no other way. We don't, uh, guys, there is no plan B where some preacher comes through town and helps people find life with Jesus. Jesus wants your life to shine. He wants my life to shine. Last week, I shared a story about how recently my wife and I were out to lunch with our daughter, a woman about our age, and her children. And I shared how Marin, during that lunchtime, I shared this last week, um, check it out, it's on podcast. I shared how Marin asked us a question about love and marriage, and our friend heard, what's that? True love. true love. What's true love? Yeah. What is true love, and are you truly in love? And we're like, oh, this is a lot for 11 a.m. on a Tuesday. And, and we, sh we, we shared our answer, and, and our friend deeply admired how we responded to Marin. And she witnessed that, and she herself was, like, impacted by that. And she thought it was actually really good advice for her own children who were sitting at the table to hear it. And to be honest, the principles that we shared at the table that day were nothing more than practical ways of relating in our marriage that we learned from the scriptures. We had learned them over the years. But we never mentioned the scriptures once. We, didn't, we weren't like, here's, you know, chapter and verse. You know, in Song of Solomon, Marin, it says this. We didn't do that for a number of reasons. We never mentioned it. And the woman admired that what we were saying in that moment so much that she started asking questions. And it turned into a very helpful conversation for everybody. Now, that's the story that I told last week. Here's the part I didn't tell you. A few weeks later... We meet up uh, with her, just her, no kids. And we meet up with her for dinner. And almost instantly, she mentions what we had done a few weeks earlier and how amazing it was. But then she did something else that was really interesting. She started mentioning other parts of her life. She started opening up to us. And she started asking us other parts of our life. Like, she's like, okay, so you got this one thing figured out about love and true love and marriage. And, and she starts asking other questions of us. She asks our opinion on, like, five or six different topics. And her attitude was not, like, trying to drill us. Like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? It was, like, the posture of a learner. 
Like she had moved from like, you know, whatever, to a posture of a learner. She was trying to learn other wisdom that we might have. So we shared. And we even shared in this, in this second meeting, we even shared about how our faith had informed the way we think about these topics, about love, about marriage, about sexuality and gender and all the, the very difficult choices that young people have to make. We talked about how to navigate raising a child in a complex cosmopolitan city. Let me ask you a question. What do you think she's doing in that conversation? She's responding to how we're living the brand in one area of our life. She wanted to know other areas of her life and how they work because it became clear she was looking for some good ideas for her life. And just to reiterate, all the ideas that we're sharing in that moment originated from how the power of God has shaped our lives. Here's the kicker. She hasn't, she's not a follower of Jesus. She hasn't given her life to Jesus. But here's the kicker. She doesn't realize that she is encountering the living God working through us. The power of God has shaped our lives and the power of God is working through our lives to touch her. It's offering, all we're doing is offering credibility based on how we built our lives. Listen, my hope for you is this, that may the people in your life encounter the living God through you as God demonstrates his power through you. Okay? We have someone here. I mean, not in this room, but this person I was just talking about. This person is encountering the living God all through us just being credible. No, I don't want to make myself the hero of that story, but I did today. So tough. <laughs> and here's what I know. When this becomes more true for you, and when this becomes more true for me, the people in our lives are going to move towards the one who offers true life. His name is Jesus. Why don't we all stand? We're going to worship, but I believe that um, God uh, wants to empower you as you go from this place. Um, so let's pause and see what he wants to do. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. And what I'm doing right now, you guys can just focus on God, but I'm just going to explain what I'm doing right now. There's nothing magical about it. And sometimes when we pray, we are telling God what we think we need. Other times when we pray, we're just listening. We're trying to understand, God, are you speaking to us? So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to us right now as we wait.